Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament Lectionary Podcast. I'm Rosie Candithal, a postdoctoral fellow in Hebrew Bible at Columbia Theological Seminary. And I'm Tim McNinch, assistant professor of Hebrew Bible at Christian Theological Seminary. Our co-hosts, Paul Essa and Dr. Rachel Wren, are enjoying some time off this week, but we're here at the microphone to help with some preaching and teaching tips for this 15th Sunday after Pentecost for September 10th, 2023. Rosie, you're in the hot seat this week. You've been advocating for that uh, semi-continuous or thematic reading uh, in year A, which brings us to Exodus 12, 1 to 14 and the institution of the Passover festival. What do we have here? Yeah, that's the right expression. Initially, there's a lot here. So this is a momentous bit of Hebrew law in the midst of a dramatic narrative sequence. So if we're just trying to fill in some background here, we've already experienced nine plagues, (laughs) the hardening Mm -hmm. of Pharaoh's heart and his refusal to let the Israelites go. Moses has just delivered a warning to the Egyptians that at midnight, every firstborn from animal to human will die. And this will be in the story, the final straw for the Egyptians, and we're suspended in action. So we've got the Israelites poised here in the land of Egypt still, about to make their great escape. And as verse 40 tells us, they've been there for 430 long years. So Exodus 12 is a dramatic pause on the threshold of the Israelite Exodus, in which God now speaks to Moses and Aaron, while they are still on Egyptian soil, about the way to remember this night for their descendants. (laughs) What kind of storyteller stops right there, right? No, right. (laughs) Uh, so we've had such a big windup. Why do we get this pause in the narrative sequence? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. We're stopping the story here because there's something really, really important. It's probably no overstatement to call the institution and celebration of the annual Passover festival the constitutive liturgical moment for the consciousness and identity of the Jewish people. It's a big sentence, but... It's true. (laughs) The impending exodus from the land of Egypt here in Exodus 12 is imagined as a new beginning, a cosmic new order of life comparable to the Genesis moment. And in verse two, time is reorganized to reflect this new reality. The entire religious calendar of Israel starts here by numbering the months of the year from the month of the Exodus. So transforming Mm -hmm. the calendar this way to start with the Passover, that is meant to be a powerful symbol. We are stopping the clock. So the narrator is stopping the clock and it makes this moment of liberation the birth date of a nation. So this has legal and political importance, which is why the whole community of Israel in Hebrew, the Adah, a technical term for the political assembly is the intended audience. Mm. Yeah, that stopping of the clock is really, really important. I I actually wrote an article about some of that type of stuff. And uh, yeah, whenever that happens in the Bible, if the clock stops, pay close attention because something important is going to come through here. And we do, we get a a shift there in verse three. So that's right. Exactly. The clock is stopped. We're paying attention. And now we get some very specific instructions detailed law on how this Passover festival is to be celebrated this night and every year thereafter. In essence, every household is to take a lamb or young goat and everyone, the entire Adah of Israel, is to kill the animal at the same time on the 14th day of the month. Then 
take its blood to paint a mark on the doorposts and lintel of the house where the family will now eat that lamb or young goat roasted with a bitter herb condiment, maror, and an unyeasted quick bread, matzah. So everyone, too, should be dressed in a particular way. They should be dressed ready for travel with shoes and staff in hand and even eating quickly. This meal is a Pesach offering to the Lord. In essence, the people are instructed to reenact with their whole bodies the urgency and feeling of that night as they are about to escape. On that night, the Lord, or a destroying angel, stalked the land of Egypt in the final plague, but somehow skipped over the houses with blood on the doorposts. Verse 13 assures the safety of the Israelites despite the fearful urgency of this remembrance festival, the fire of roasting the animal, the blood, the darkness of the night, the clothing and manner of eating, all of it is meant to be tremendously evocative, to bring us back to remember. And our reading here ends at verse 14, but the chapter continues with further instructions and explanations. Exodus 12 in its entirety is quite clearly a passage with deep significance and reflects layers of traditions that developed early in Israel's course as a people and a nation. Yeah, every time I've participated in a in a Seder meal uh, for Passover, it's it's just so uh, profound and meaningful. The the reenactment of this story is just it, it. There's something powerful that happens there. So, um, for Christian preachers, Rosie, mm. how do you su- suggest preaching from this text in Exodus 12? Is there an angle that you'd take? Right. And I'm glad you're pointing out that we're probably speaking here to Christian preachers, right? So there were a few things in this passage that struck me, but the probably the most important one is the emphasis on the community gathered together. So I've kind of pointed out that that word, that the political assembly, the group together is gathered. Uh, but then also there's this smaller gathering of the family that's eating together. Mm-hmm. And they are remembering uh, what to me, I was reminded again, was is a scary moment uh, and how they got through that really frightening night. On the whole, the Passover event, to me, that's not a comfortable uh, remembrance. It seems designed to provoke discomfort and reflection. The blood on the lintel posts mark the closeness, the proximity to death, and also at the same time, a gratitude for life as something that's spared, that's God-given, God-sustained, a Pesach offering. And that word Pesach has given rise to the English Pascal, referring both to the Passover lamb and Easter. There are apparently three traditions for the meaning of that Hebrew root, Pesachet, Pesach. The oldest is meaning to have compassion. Another meaning available is to protect. And that third is to skip over. And Most Christians will think of that skip over, but I want Mm -hmm. to kind of raise up the additional meanings there, compassion, protection, as well as skipping over. As Christians, the Passover and Easter moments of scripture are overlaid, bleeding through, if you will. But what they hold in common is the sense of life renewed, reoriented toward the salvific, the impossible, the wonder and miracle of God in our midst. Forever changed, perhaps by marks of horror. So in the Israelite story, both oppression, abuse, slavery, uh, in the Christian story, the crucifixion, but life that is resilient and worth celebrating together in solemn remembrance. The gospel reading from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20 for this week 
is Jesus's instruction on how to handle sin and forgiveness. It too, I think, offers a process, a means of remembering sin and holding to account, but it also ends with the all-important recognition that God is present when even two or three are gathered in God's name. And in the end, we know then that reconciliation and healing are possible because God is present in each one of us. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's really profound, Rosie. Is there anything else that you'd want to add to um, you know, warn preachers about, any potential pitfalls in this passage? Right. So you were hinting um, toward that earlier. So as Christians, I think it's tempting to subsume the Passover into Easter. And I, I want to caution preachers. There's a really great value to taking the time to absorb Exodus 12 here in ordinary time, where it can be appreciated by Christians as a foundational consciousness-orienting, identity-forming celebration of Israel and the Jewish people, which also has a constitutive meaning within the Christian celebration of Easter. The Paschal Lamb has a particular meaning for the Jewish people that precedes and informs the Christian appropriation of that image uh, and and that sacrificial offering. Mm -hmm. One bonus to picking up the Exodus 12 for preaching this week is that it's rich with reflective possibility for our communities. Through Exodus 12, we might ask ourselves and our congregations, what are our foundational memories as a community? What have we lived through? What have we survived? What traumas do we carry, which also hold the key to new life for the journey ahead? What do we need to celebrate about the shared life that God has given to us, spared for us? I could go on and on, but I find that Exodus 12 offers a great deal of potential and insight on how a Christian community might also move toward life after a crisis. Tim, anything you want to add or? <laughs> I don't, ha- I, I don't really have a lot to add to that. I think you've really tapped into something really helpful there. And especially I'm, I'm grateful for the way that you've navigated the, the potential for a kind of supersessionist reading of this in Christian communities. And, but without, um, you know, just casting off any Christian reading of it. So I, I think you've you've struck that balance really well with this in recognizing the the Jewish priority that informs and shapes a Christian reading of this same text. Um, that's really well done. And uh, anytime we can do that well, it's worth doing. Mm, thanks. Well, thank you, Rosie. And, and friends, that seems like a perfect place to leave off for today. First readings produced by me and Rosie, along with Paul Essa and Dr. Rachel Wren. We're hoping that this has been a, a helpful conversation for you all. You can find all of our back episodes of the podcast on our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. While you're there, you should check out our snazzy merch or make a donation to support the podcast with our very friendly donate button. We really appreciate your support to help us keep this resource going. And finally, we'd love to hear from you. How are you using the podcast? What are you finding helpful? What would you change? We always love to hear from you and interact with you. Uh, You can do that with us on our Facebook page or by sending an email to firstreadingpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rosie Kimmethel. Happy preaching.